0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in
1: Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground.
2: And take a little bit of time, adjust your body, release any tension if you can. Notice what it's like to have sat for about 30 minutes. It's good to know like if you're finding it hard to sit at home for any length of time, that you, tonight, were able to sit for 30 minutes. I know it's easier often being in a group. So as I've been mentioning these last few weeks, we learned quite a bit from hearing people's questions and also just hearing people's comments about what you've been learning, what's been challenging in your practice, I know, I'm hoping, some of you have tried the walking meditation instructions, so you could share a little bit about that. And then again, in particular, week four, interested in hearing any comments or questions about what seems to get in the way of mindful awareness, and especially the continuity of mindful awareness. So remember with the mic, you have to point it like this right at your mouth, pretty close. It's always nice if people say their names, too. Anybody would like to begin? Yeah, please.
0: My name is Kasha. Um, one of the barriers that I find most difficult, and I'm wondering if you have advice on this, is um, anxiety and PTSD symptoms and intrusive thoughts. and trying Intrusive to, thoughts? Yes. And trying to steer away from using the anchor too much to get out of the mind and have that continuous mindfulness. But sometimes getting that breathing technique is the only mindfulness that I'm able to do without fear or other things interrupting.
2: Yeah. So it's okay. You know, I describe the practice generally in this middle point. And at this end, this extreme end, let's say, the mind would be very devoted to its meditation anchor. And at this end of the spectrum, the mind wouldn't be directing the attention to any particular anchor. Any object that the mind knows would be just as good as any other object. So when there is a lot of stress or a lot of trauma from the past coming up, or just generally a lot of difficulty, it's generally useful to aim more at this end than to go to this end, which, like I called it at the end of the sit tonight, open attention or open awareness practice. So at this end, you're not directing attention. Whatever the attention attends to, and then therefore the mind knows, that is your meditation object. Oh, this is stupid. Okay, thinking being known. Now the key when, because even over here, being more devoted to your meditation anchor. And next week we'll do loving kindness practice, and that's also at this end of the spectrum. And it's a very useful technique for intrusive thoughts, trauma, or pain coming to the surface. Compassion practice, kindness practice, really useful. And feel free, it it actually would be useful for you to track down the handout for week five and to read and just start experimenting with the instructions in that handout from week five. And you can even, you know, same place or near the same place where you find the handouts, you'll find the recordings from last year. So you can listen to week five from last year and get some of the instructions ahead of time if you'd like. Um... But generally speaking, being a little bit more devoted to the anchor, and what it does is it has a suppressing effect on whatever else might come into the mind, into the space of knowing, right? Pain, intrusive thoughts, because you're being really devoted to noticing moment by moment the sensations of breathing in, the experience of the whole body, in a sense, the mind or the attention is so full, so interested and relaxed and alert to the sensations of the breath, the sensations of the whole body, that the mind can't know anything else. The attention isn't going to attend to anything else. So in a way, every, every other aspect of the world is suppressed and the mind is only knowing that one thing, whole body awareness or the sensations of breathing in, Breathing in, breathing in, sensations of breathing out. Or the feeling of loving kindness, if that's your meditation object. So this is the advantage of what we'd call an exclusive meditation object. But even over here, thoughts are going to intrude. And the important thing about those intrusive thoughts, it's it's not so much the thought, it's actually the feeling that goes with the thought. Right? So to notice that there's a hurt, there's a pain, we think it's about the thought, but it's the ouch or the unpleasant feeling tone that goes with the thought that's actually relevant. And to tighten up around that unpleasant feeling is just a second unpleasant feeling. right? So first, maybe there's a, a memory, the content or the mental image of the memory And like I'm saying, more important than that is the unpleasantness. So actually you don't need to think or hold to the mental image because what the attention, what wisdom really understands is, is, is relevant is that it hurts, that it's unpleasant. Oh, it's like this, it feels like this. And to realize that needing to suppress, needing to run from the unpleasant feeling is itself stressful. So at that moment, because the feeling is already there, we acknowledge it. And you can, again, you can use words in your mind if it helps. Oh, it feels like this now. And when you say the word this, the attention looks right at the painful feeling in the heart, let's say, or in the gut, or wherever you feel it, like, oh, It feels like this now. Can this feeling, this unpleasant feeling in this case, can this feeling be okay? Is it safe to relax? And remember the feeling sometimes may be sort of an obviously unpleasant feeling. Other times it might feel numb, like nothing's there or flat, right? But whatever the feeling is, that's the feeling. And the question still remains, is it okay? Is it safe? To be interested, alert, undefended, relaxed, open to the feeling, just as it is. What happens? Is it dangerous or destructive if I open to it? And you know, you just learn from your own practice whether in fact it is safe to acknowledge the feelings that arise at times. And then what happens to that unpleasant feeling, in this case, when we have a moment or several moments of that simple present moment awareness with it does it get stronger does it get weaker what is the effect of being mindfully aware of the underlying feeling tone that's really useful learning we learn a lot that way thanks for bringing that up yeah did you have a comment or a question yeah I have to say, my yeah, uh, Gabriel, is my name, and I was wondering if it was possible to be mindfully aware but thinking at the same time.
1: I have this question because I have noticed in my previous experiences that I have been mind—I have been aware that I was thinking, but I would just allow myself to finish up that thought. But I was aware that I was thinking, so I guess what my question was was, it was is it possible to be mindfully aware and thinking, lost in thought at the same time?
2: Yeah, that's an important question you ask, Gabriel. And I mean, the short answer is yes, but as you might imagine, it's really high-level practice because more than the unpleasant feeling, which is very seductive in the sense of the tendency of the mind is to take the unpleasant feeling personal, it's even more common for the mind to take thought personally so that we lose the mindful awareness and we become lost in the thought. Being lost in thought means the mind isn't aware that thinking is happening. Right? And we spend most of the day in this place where we're thinking, but there's no space in the mind that understands, oh yeah, thinking is happening. And there's this feeling that goes with the thoughts. But the mind is very quick. So one thing that might be happening is you're, you're lost in thought and then you're aware that you're lost in thought and then you're lost in thought and then you have a moment of being aware that you're lost in thought and you're lost in thought for a moment or several moments and then aware for a moment that you're lost in thought because the mind is very quick in that way. And that's better than not being aware at all, that kind of back and forth between moments of awareness and moments of being just consumed or lost or absorbed in the content of the thought and the emotions maybe that go with the thoughts. But we just do the best we can. Now, when the mindfulness is quite strong and you get lost in thought, but then there's a moment of mindfulness and it has some momentum, then instead of thinking you've got to go back to your meditation object, like the breath or the whole body, it can be very useful to notice the thoughts cease on their own, or whatever the distraction is. Because the nature of all, all distractions, whatever it might be, whatever arises has the tendency to end, to cease, right? Instead of thinking that I have to make things go away, but things go away. Think about how many thoughts we've had just today, let alone in our life. I mean, thousands, right? I mean, who knows? probably tens of thousands of thoughts today, they've all ceased. They're not like somewhere. They're gone. Completely gone. So when you do catch that the mind is lost in thought or caught in thought or wants to go back to being lost in thought, then just trust the awareness in a sense, like lean into trust, rest in the knowing. And you might see that the thoughts pitter out. Sometimes they pop like a bubble pops. You could have been in a little drama, all juicy, all interesting, all important. And then mindfulness arises, and it just pops. And all of a sudden there's nothing important. The content is just gone and you find yourself sort of intimate in the present moment. And then it's very easy to come back to your main practice, breathing in, feeling the whole body, breathing out, feeling the whole body. Sometimes it's sort of a gradual fade because there's sort of an emotional charge that goes with the content And sort of the images of the thoughts and the thoughts themselves and the emotional feeling. It's sort of because you're not attached, you're just aware, just thoughts, just feeling being known, just this being known. Then because it was juicy, because there was some attachment, it's more like a slow fade. What was like vivid and very personal and really the mind felt compelled to get attached again, starts to get softer, lighter, not so seductive and kind of more of a slow fade. So it can happen in different ways when we notice thoughts back and forth in the thoughts, aware it's thought thinking or thoughting is happening right back and forth or a quick pop, totally absorbed in thought, mindfulness arises boom, no thought. where'd it go? It's just gone. And the slow fade. Thanks for bringing that up. Thank you for the explanation. Yeah, maybe right behind. I'm
1: Claire, and uh, when I become, well, what happens sometimes to me when I become aware of thinking is, and this doesn't happen all the time, but what I've been noticing is that I feel a struggle in my mind of trying to force the thought out, and I think it's related to what you said at the beginning about control, and um, I found this time, I think I found it to be a little bit easier to remember rain in my head and to go through that. And then at the end, there's non-attachment, and that kind of a little bit helps me let go, let the thought gently float away instead of trying to um, force it out. Yeah. And then the other thing, the other thing is that um, I have like a, I have a voice in my head that like talks a lot and really fast.
2: You're the and, only one, right? Does anybody else have that? I guess you're the only one.
1: And and so after after I let go of a thought, and I'm trying to be aware. First off, I come into my physical body as my anchor, yeah. but also I've been thinking the words in my head knowing and releasing when breathing, and I'm wondering if that's
2: a yeah. good
1: thing to be doing in yeah, any other reaction. a lot,
2: Claire, that just shows. And it's that experimentation too where we become really wise. I mean, we have this amazing thing, definitely mysterious thing we call the mind or the heart, right? And it it's sort of Includes all the cognitive activity, all the emotional activity. You know, not, not just language, but mental images. It's totally reflect the body and the mind reflecting each other. That adds a whole other layer of complication. And we have to then. I mean, this is what makes it so complex. We have to use the mind to know the mind because we have no other instrument to know the mind, right? Use a thief to catch a thief. I mean, it's sort of that sort of situation. And uh, the thing about the mind generally is it's very susceptible to intention. So when you use, like the last one of the last things Claire said, it's like bringing in that word or those words, knowing, releasing. Uh, But they could be other words where we're bringing in a word that relates to a particular intention in the mind, like to know or to recognize what's present in the moment. So especially if you coordinate coordinated with breathing in, so as you're breathing in, knowing, just remembering the intention. Right? Intention is sort of a willful force in the mind, like I want to know, I want to connect, I want to be aware. So you repeat that word, knowing, and so you're highlighting that intention in the mind, like the desire, the wholesome desire to know what's going on, what's being recognized, what's here and now. So knowing as you're breathing in, releasing, right, remembering the intention to relax, to allow. So that helps. Like that's just a simple trick that we lose uh, use is to bring. How can you bring the intention? You want to get stronger in the mind, how can you bring it to mind? Keep it in mind, right? Using words, using language. So, this is, in Buddhism, we call this right thought. Endlessly speculating about things we don't need to think about, endlessly planning or worrying about things we don't need to plan or worry about. That's called wrong thinking, <laughs> right? I mean, so much of thinking is unproductive, and even worse, it uh, sets in motion mental and physical tightness which just makes the mind less clear which makes the mind more likely to do unhelpful things but there's whole this whole category of right thought, any thought that uses intention, that organizes intention that directs the mind grounds the mind in the present moment, that's right thought so you could think about the Buddhist teachings in a way that would be neurotic, just lead you to endless metaphysical speculation. That's wrong thought. Or you could use some of these teachings that bring you back, aim your mind back to more intimate, ordinary, present moment awareness. And that would be those thoughts would be helpful. Good thoughts. Yeah. And and you said other things too, Claire, that I'm now forgetting. That seemed right on. Was there a question there?
1: Well, I guess kind of I've formulated a question based on what you said, which is, so I said um, I feel a struggle, like I'm trying to force out the thought, and part of it I think is anxiety of quickly wanting to come back to mindfulness, and when I go through rain in my head, it takes a a little while to go through that, and then it's easier to let the thought float away, so is that... (sighs) And I guess part of it is anxiety, wanting to push the thought out. So is, it's okay to, to st- stop and take some time before the, thought, before the thought passes.
2: Yeah. All of that would be okay. To take the time and to use that, because then you're using wise thought, right thought. right? You're bringing the acronym to mind. That's all thought. You're remembering R. What's R? Oh, yeah, recognize. So all of that is thought. But that thought, you see how that thought directs the attention to the present moment. You're not like thinking about rain abstractly. You're using it to help, like to organize intention, action in the mind, mental action, right? That's all good thought. So that's one thing you can do. Another thing you can do is like notice that aggressive going back, think you gotta, right? Notice that for what it is, like tight. It's fear. It's a kind of fear, right? I mean, subtle fear, but it's a, a fear, or maybe even a little aggression in a sort of microscopic way. And if you see that as something happening in the present moment, not judging it, not controlling it, you can't really be intimate with it and be controlling. So just let the mind for those few moments be wild, and kind of jerk itself around, whatever it is. Because when you really see it for what it is, then the mind can let it go. Because when the mind really sees it, it will see that it's not helpful and that it's a little mean-spirited. The mind is being mean to itself, basically. And it's the same thing like when you notice you're holding a hot pan, you let go. When you catch the mind doing something dysfunctional, not helpful, and conducive of being tight, the mind tends to not do that again because it's learned. But it can't learn when you're immediately judging it you actually have to be aware you have to see vividly oh yeah this doesn't help this is too much this is overdoing this is being afraid you know without necessarily having those words of course so and then once you see that a few times like how that's a little rough to jerk your mind back to the present moment it's it's a little rough and it's not necessary because you were already, the mind was already aware of the present moment when it noticed that force of wanting to think. And then once you see that that's unhelpful, without even using the more involved reflection on RAIN, you can just get curious about that desire to think. Because thinking, the problem with thinking isn't the thinking, the problem with thinking is being attached to the content of the thoughts. But observing the thinking as a witness, sort of what Gabriel was pointing to, that's very high-level, useful practice. When you can be aware of thoughts, that's good. The first stage is thoughts come up and we just get lost in them. The second stage is thoughts come up and we do that sort of thing you talked about, Claire, where you jerk yourself back, you know. It's not great, but it's better than being lost in thoughts. Later on, thoughts come up and the thread of mindfulness can continue because the thread of the wisdom, the mindfulness knows that it's important to feel the feeling that goes with the thoughts because if you don't feel any emotional feeling that's there with the thoughts, you're going to get lost in the thoughts. Oh yeah, here's the content, here's the feeling, It's just these things dancing together. It's just something being known. And you can then see how the thoughts, through not being fed by attachment or identification with the content, fade away on their own. Because that's a very important insight to know, to notice that thoughts cease without anybody making them go away. It teaches us something very important about this, prep, this path. That things will end without me, the practitioner, making them end. And it's like a huge weight off our shoulders. Because normally when something bad is going on, we feel personally responsible for making it go away. But the more we see that sort of higher level where we're, we're able to be somewhat mindful of the mental activity the more we see how it ends on its own, the very nature of a thought is to sort of bloom, reveal itself, and fade away. Except it happens much more quickly than that. Like, I think I did this a couple weeks ago, you know, if I asked you to think the thought, pink elephant, or October, right? That's a thought. So think that thought, one of those thoughts and do it again, and this time when you think the pink elephant or October, notice that it has a birth, it lasts not very long, and then it ceases, unless you think it again, right? So do it again. So you get a sense of how ephemeral a thought actually is. It has a very short life cycle, and even during that duration of its life cycle, it's not much of anything. What generally is more significant is the feeling, like if there's an emotional charge that goes with the thought, that has a little bit more substantial life cycle, but even, like even the, most, the thought that has the most baggage, like a thought that you know, involves some painful thing that happened in the past and some reverberation of the pain or the joy, if it was a pleasant experience, from the past, gets strummed, you know, like a little string gets strummed when you think that thought. But even that emotional vibration, whatever it is, that feeling, that will only last for a while and then it fades and eventually it's not there anymore. We've had a lot of our emotional strings strummed today. But are they still vibrating? A lot of them aren't. right? So these things come and go. And really knowing that makes us much more fearless about being intimate, being mindful in a continuous way. Other comments from your practice? Yeah, Kermit, you want to pass the mic all the way over? First row of chairs. Could
0: you please explain the importance of recognizing neutral feeling tones?
2: Yeah, because when we're... I mean, initially... We are a bit in practice in just life too, of course, but even once you start to learn this these teachings of Buddhist mindfulness practice, we become unfortunately but unavoidably obsessed with what's pleasant and unpleasant because that's what the attention in the mind, the habit of how we pay attention. We're just immediately interested in anything that seems threatening or unpleasant. And immediately interested in anything that might be pleasant or interesting or exciting. And immediately not interested in anything neutral. So one of the reasons a lot of our meditation anchors, meditation objects, they're neutral on purpose. Because there's something, when we can train our mind to be interested in something neutral, like whole body. Now I know it's not often neutral because we have pain. But the more you sit, there will be periods of time where your body won't be unpleasant. I guarantee it. You just got to stick with it for a while. And even now, you know, maybe it starts to hurt after seven minutes, but at minute five, maybe it, it's not. It's kind of neutral, feeling the body. So if you can train your mind to be attentive to neutral experience, like hearing the blower, which you probably haven't noticed until I just mentioned it. You hear it now. So sustaining attention there. See, the interesting thing about getting sustaining attention with neutral is we can discover what the mind is like when it isn't pushing or pulling with greed and aversion. Like We, we get a sense of equanimity. We learn what it's like to let things be. But our habit, the deep habit of an ordinary mind, a mind that hasn't been trained, is to not pay attention to neutral. So we keep missing this very strong habit we already have of being okay with things. Because we're already okay with neutral experience. But we're just unaware that we're okay with it. We haven't like brought it into this, into focus, so to speak, or into the Mind, you know, in the space of mindful awareness. Oh, this is what it's like to be intimate but not caught in greed and aversion. Not struggling. Because not being caught in greed and aversion is the same thing as being intimate without struggle or being peaceful. Like when you pay attention now to the blower again. It's soft. Notice now, as you're paying attention to it, that the mind's relationship to the sound is peaceful. No skin in the game. No, it, it doesn't seem personal, does it? You're not personally invested in it, going away or staying. So if you can get very curious about that equanimous way of relating, that peaceful way of relating and maybe start noticing that possibility with things that are slightly unpleasant or slightly pleasant but have that same peaceful accepting way with that right so that's really the value of getting interested that's why we want the continuity and the reason we talk so much especially in the beginners class about how to work with difficult experience is that's what breaks the continuity of awareness we've refined for a few seconds and then something unpleasant arises, and we start thinking about it. Why me? What can I do? Or we get lost in a fantasy so we don't have to feel what we're feeling because it's unpleasant. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, that actually even more challenging than the unpleasant is the pleasant, being able to have continuity awareness with pleasant experience, And even generally, for most people, more challenging than being with pleasant experiences, being with neutral. So we start where it's easy. Surprisingly, it's easiest to be mindful of the unpleasant because all the incentives work that way. It's like struggling, trying to be in denial of the unpleasant or struggling to control it. You really learn this with pain. When you have a lot of physical pain, for example the way to minimize the pain is to be intimate with it. It seems counterintuitive, but any attempt to get away from it or to control it or fix it just amplifies the pain. See if you can learn this this week in your home practice. Like with just ordinary pain or it could be an irritating sound or a repeated thought, like an intrusive thought that's unpleasant. If you just let it happen, but not with attachment, not with... Controlling, not identifying, just give permission to the mind and body to do what it's doing. So you're resting, you're trusting the awareness of what's coming and going. That you find is a sweet spot. It's still unpleasant, these unpleasant experiences, but it's workable. Everything's workable. Even at the dentist, where you know they're doing their thing, you know. If you're really right there with it, you can get through the, you know, our thing. But if you're like waiting for it to be over, it becomes hell. Or if you're really second guessing the dentist, you know, it becomes hell. Or if you're thinking that you wish you hadn't come, or it isn't fair that you have your parents' teeth, you know, that are no good, or, you know, blaming. Any of that kind of speculation or resistance or denial just makes it unbearable, makes it worse. Yeah, Thanks, Kermit, for bringing up the neutral. Time for a few more. What else comes to mind that you've learned? Let's pass it over here. Go to you, then to Erin, and then to you. Right behind you.
0: Hi, my name's Abby, um, and I've heard you reference a few times that um, between um, being aware and alert and restful, that you have their biggest learnings come from those times of that sweet spot in between. Um, And I kind of want to hear more about what that has been like for you personally. Um, Just kind of a quick thing for myself. I noticed that I don't ever really normally have those sorts of revelations in meditation, but maybe outside of meditation, that maybe because of meditation practice that I'm able to access more... Balanced thoughts that lead to more revelations. But I was curious what that means for you.
2: Yeah, yeah, those are really good points you made, uh, Abby. Is that what you said? Yeah, because, and you know, one of the reasons they can happen out in daily life, you're right, in the formal sit, we are planting the seeds. So there will be more natural, spontaneous moments where the mind comes into balance. You're still doing what you're doing during the formal sit. But it's a more of a spontaneous or organic moment of balance, present moment awareness, right? And because it's so natural, unforced, no controlling energy, no judging, trying to be mindful, you know, none of that's all not helpful. So it's a more spontaneous, or organic moment. And so the balance might be actually better in those spontaneous moments than in your formal sitting time. But like you suggested, It doesn't mean that the formal sit wasn't important. You wouldn't have had those moments otherwise. And so, yeah, there's two things that I can point to in my practice and generally people point to in their practice that come up because of this training in mindful awareness. One is the mind (coughs) knows how to sustain a more collected, Grounded, whole, quality, right? And the mind is less fragmented, less superficial, and we call that samadhi. And I mentioned that before. And that feels good, just on a on the most direct, immediate level, both in the body and mind. When the mind is whole, less scattered, less fragmented. I mean, we all know what it's like when the mind is fragmented and wired and discombobulated. It's not a pleasant feeling. So when you have more moments of the mind at the other end of the spectrum of being whole, being grounded, being stable, being settled, really notice how pleasant that is and trustworthy that mind is. So that's one of the fruits of practice. And it just gets better and better, both in terms of the depth, like how sweet those moments can be, but even when it's not like really nice, but just sort of Moving through life a little bit more unflappable, not so pushed around by what comes and goes. Something bad happens, and okay, so what needs to be done? We're not thrown around. And then the other thing that's even more profound, a little bit harder to share, but you know, this whole practice here in the West, we call it vipassana or insight meditation pointing to these moments where because of the continuity of, of mindful awareness, the, the understanding, the view in the mind, the way the mind understands experience, there can be these little seismic shifts. and We call them insights. It's a little different. It's similar, but a little different than when you figure out something about your life that you, you know, like about a relationship that's not been working, What's going on? What's going on? And all of a sudden it just clicks. Oh yeah. I said that a few days ago. This person got really and now this is the reverb and now it all makes sense, right? Now that's called a psychological insight or a therapeutic insight. Like we we understand on a certain level something that we weren't understanding before. And now it's just easier to navigate like that relationship or that part of my life. But in a deeper, more existential way, these same kind of shifts happen. Things that we've never questioned about sort of the mind or about experience. We've just taken it for granted. We've lived as if that were true. And all of a sudden, the mind recognizes that that's not true, that something else is true. Like, it all feels so personal most of the time. But then there's a little seismic shift where we realize how impersonal it all is or how ephemeral or impermanent things are or how much suffering there is with attachment because normally we sort of highlight attachment you know craving sort of a place where we get a lot of juice in life but sometimes the because of the it's not about one moment of balance it's about having had many many moments of balance And the cumulative effect is a seismic shift in understanding. A movement from ignorance to more wisdom in the mind. And these moments have a flavor of liberation, like the mind is moving in a direction where there's more space, less fear, more trust in the messy world that we live in, more willingness to engage. And it's the the other telltale experience of these insights is it's always surprising, even though we might have intellectually been told that this is going to happen or things will open up in this way. When it actually happens, it's never like we thought it would be, because you can't conceive of these shifts in understanding. If you could, there wouldn't be a shift in understanding. It's precisely because it's out of the box. It's not the way the mind is understanding. And now the mind is understanding a little bit differently than it did the moment before. Yeah, thanks for the good question. See, Erin was going to be next, I think.
0: Um, Hi, I'm Erin. Particularly talking about difficult emotions, I will use this example because it's what was coming up tonight um, of replaying a story in my head. So this morning my child had a meltdown, which was particularly angry and, and violent. And so that story would, was coming up during my meditation. And I have gotten pretty good about working through that in terms of, okay, coming back into my body and feeling like, oh, yeah, that, that was really hard. And oh, my, my chest is really tight. And I feel, you know, feel kind of ashamed or embarrassed about what I said, or, you know, that really, you know, noticing my throat getting tight or my hands clenching my, my fist. And I'll start talking myself through it, um, in terms of noticing what's going on and labeling it. But then I kind of will get stuck where I can either talk myself through, okay, let it go and just release it and imagine, (coughs) you know, the, all these difficult feelings are just, just kind of floating away. Or if I keep focusing on the feelings in my body, then I tend to get cycled right back into it. Oh, and then he said this and oh, I can't, and it just keeps going and it will continue to cycle that way what is the kind of more skillful way to start handling is is trying to let myself or allow myself to let it go i mean i'll try and i'll go through the acceptance and kind of investigating what the how it is in my body but then where do i go from there so i don't keep cycling back into
2: it yeah and we'll we'll have to end here so maybe if you could bring your question next Time. Yeah, it's really important content. It's really in line with what we often do in week four is basically address the questions and comments that Aaron has brought up about working with difficult experience, difficult memory. And it kind of goes back to this last comment too that like rethinking it or telling the story of what happened in the morning with my child, retelling the story in a more honest, more skillful way Is itself insightful on a certain level. Some ways of like blaming yourself for being a lousy parent, that may be a not skillful way to be dealing with the memory that's coming up. It may further the cycles of mental proliferation, self-hatred, or whatever. So telling yourself a story like, my kid was doing the best they could, I was doing the best I could. But there's deeper work to do than that, and you described it well Aaron like getting really curious about the feeling tone and when we look right at the ouch the pain often starting by feeling it in the body cuz that's like a doorway into feeling exactly what we don't want to feel basically right now at that point you don't need the content or the mental images of what happened in the de- in the morning they may be sort of moving in the mind heart whatever But they can be in the periphery because what's important is the feeling you don't want to feel. That's your meditation object. And if you can, if there's enough stability, enough confidence and stability of awareness to be actually authentically interested, not because you want it to go away, but because it's real, it's here and now, and so therefore you're interested in it, then you do that work. But if you want it to go away, you can't do that work. So that may be the time to start with a very simple truth like, you know what, it's not easy being a human being. And you have some compassion first for yourself, being a parent. It's not easy being a parent. It's probably not easy being a preteen or teen. I forget how old your kids are now. You know, it's not easy being a kid. It's not easy being a parent. This is hard to be with right now. Let me go to hearing. And you use a meditation object, something in the present moment, you can actually be with in an intimate way, in a balanced way, with authentic interest and not being afraid. And then when that memory, remember it's gonna it's gonna intrude again because it's got some life, but now you're prepared because you've used a neutral experience like hearing or whole body or seeing, you can open your eyes or you can do your walking meditation. And you've learned it's safe to be present. It's, le- it's safe to have a balanced, intimate awareness. So when it reemerges, the pain, painful thoughts, painful images, painful sensations. But now your mind is used to relating to the present moment in that balanced, intimate way. So you have more of a chance, for a few seconds at least, to be with the content and to drop into the unpleasant feeling with some confidence. Oh, can this be okay? Okay. This really hurts. This is really unpleasant. The mind doesn't want to feel this feeling, but can it be okay to relax for a moment? Breathing in, knowing that the feeling is like this. Breathing out, knowing that the feeling is like this. Or knowing, releasing. I think Claire was saying that, right? Knowing it feels like this now. Releasing any resistance, any need for it to go away. Now it may go away because you're being skillful with it. It may express the truth of everything. Things come and they go. Even painful feelings that feel like they're going to be there forever. They come and they go. But then when the mind is exhausted or you find that you're just proliferating, like when you open to the feeling it just drives the mind right into the content and you're thinking about it again in a way that's not productive, that's when you realize it's not easy being a human being. And you exit, right? You turn your attention to something neutral or pleasant. So you can practice being mindfully aware. Because we're more important than anything is the mindful awareness. And if you can't be mindfully aware of what's arising and is predominant because it's so unpleasant or your mind is exhausted, then turn the attention. Even though it won't be predominant, find something. You can even ask yourself, what can I pay attention to that's here and now, that's present, may not be predominant. What can I pay attention to that, that the awareness can then one more time practice being intimate, being alert, being relaxed, being continuous. Yeah, thanks, Erin, and thanks, everyone. Two more weeks to go. Next week, loving kindness practice. Feel free to prep yourself. Remember to keep showing up to give yourself a chance to get some momentum in your practice. Have a good week.
0: This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org.
2: Thank you for listening.